The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Coming up after 10.15, the Vagina Dialogues, we will have a panel of experts to answer your questions about female sexual and reproductive health. Uh, But first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. And remember, you can send me your emails anytime, Lori at drlori.com. All right, first email to share with you. Um, me and my wife have been together eight years and have got in a rut with the kids and our work. We have no time. When I want it, she doesn't. When she does, I don't. And when we do have sex, it's just the same thing every time. My wife won't try anything. Toys, outfits, movies, anal, role play, dirty talk, Nothing. I've asked over and over. I leave her dirty notes and she won't respond and thinks it's nasty. What can I do? So first of all, it's quite normal and common for couples to find themselves in a rut, especially when life gets really busy with kids and work and the demands and the demands and the demands, right? Which are not the same when you're dating. You don't have all these same uh, demands. And this is why I think it's so important for couples to carve out time, to schedule time to be together. And I know a lot of people hate the whole idea of, oh, what, I have to schedule sex? Well, yeah, you have to schedule intimate time uh, together. Otherwise, it might not happen. So it may not sound sexy, but it may be the only way for the two of you um, to connect. And that goes for uh, you know many people who, are, who find themselves in this situation. Now, when you ask, you talk about trying new things and I can't help but wonder if you are uh, pressuring your wife, like if, if she's experiencing this or feeling this as pressure, you constantly bringing up trying new things, thinking that that's going to arouse her. It's only really doing the opposite. It's uh, She's pushing back. The more you push forward and give her all of these suggestions of things you want to do, uh, she's pushing back without even considering anything new. So... Part of this is that your wife has to feel comfortable with her sexuality, but she also needs to feel safe, which means you know, not putting her down because she won't try anything uh, new with you. And that's a kind of a, a fine line because you want to get things moving and she's responding in, in such a way. But then you get yourself into this vicious cycle. Um Try and establish, first of all, a regular schedule of sex where you take time apart, take time to, uh, away from the kids, take time just for you, a date night, whatever it is. Um, and once you get on this uh, regularity, then you might suggest to her in such a way like, um, you know, I'd love to try new things and maybe you can suggest some things, meaning you tell the, your wife this, that she can uh choose or come up with some ideas? What are her go-tos? What are her no-goes? Like start talking about what you, uh, what are things that you want to do? What are things that you might do? And what are things that there's absolutely no way you would do? So talking this out and making each of you like this list might be helpful 
to kind of get the, the, the ball rolling. And then you start off small. You start off small. Um, you don't go to extremes uh, and see how, let her get comfortable with, the, with some of the little things. And in a healthy relationship, I want to point out, it's also important that we respect each other's boundaries. So when you push too hard, it's like the person feels like you're trying to break down their boundaries and they, and the reaction is to make an even more solid wall. So it, it has definitely the negative effect that, uh, that you want. So we have to approach it. I always say approach with compassion rather than, uh, that pressure. All right, got this email from a female. I've had different sexual partners, but there hasn't been one that has been able to make me orgasm. There's been times I feel like I'm close to it, but it usually goes away right away. I've tried to masturbate and still haven't reached the orgasm. It makes me feel like I'm halfway. It often makes me feel frustrated. I've tried different positions, thinking about a fantasy, porn, and foreplay. I do get aroused, but sometimes mid-act it goes away or I feel bored and uninterested. I have had good sex where I feel like I'm about to reach orgasm, but I can't enjoy it because I don't feel the climax. I don't know what I could do to feel like I actually enjoy sex or how I can enjoy it. I find it interesting that the enjoyment is tied into simply the orgasm because there are plenty of people and women who do not orgasm but can still experience lots of pleasure and interpret that as pleasure. So we have to think about what's the mind uh, doing here. The other thing too, it's not up to a partner to make you orgasm. We are responsible for our own uh, orgasms. And why do I say that is because orgasms have a lot more to do with our brains than with our uh, genitals. So if a woman's mind is not and for some men too, it's the same thing. Uh, if it's not completely relaxed and you're feeling distracted during sex by whatever your thought, mostly we're distracted by our own uh, thoughts, then this will interfere with the ability uh, to orgasm because you're no longer focusing on the pleasure that your body is feeling. You're in your head and not your body anymore. So it's, I think it's important for you to focus on the foreplay where you can get the, enough clitoral stimulation. It could be that you're getting bored uh, with intercourse because it's not getting you to where you at least expect it to. And you need to know that sometimes those expectations are based on not having the facts. And the fact is that the vast majority of women do not orgasm from intercourse alone. It doesn't matter how long the partner's at it. So uh, if you're waiting for this, then you're going to be frustrated time and time again. And then it may lead you to be distracted by your thoughts and, oh no, not again. And then, well, that will just shut you down. Also, the more goal-oriented you are, sometimes the more difficult it is to orgasm. So the best advice is to enjoy the journey. Enjoy the pleasure that your body is providing you. It's not about the destination. It really is about uh, the journey. The other thing when I'm reading this is thinking of, uh, because I see this in my office quite a bit, I'm wondering what you expect an orgasm to feel like. Because oftentimes I'll meet women who tell me that they expect like a huge sensation and they get really frustrated when they, uh, when they don't have that sensation. And then they interpret that as 
not having had an orgasm at all. So just to be clear, an orgasm can feel differently at different times for the same person with different ex- sexual experiences, etc. It's not always the same thing. Uh, what an orgasm is usually involves a, a buildup, a tensing of muscle, and a feeling of release. But that release is not always intense. It can be quite uh, subtle. So my best advice to you is stop worrying about this, relax, focus on your sensations, and let go of expectations and just learn to enjoy the journey. Coming up, we talk about female sexual health. Uh, Dr. Jacqueline Madar will be in uh, along with Laura Schaefer, uh, and we will address all issues related to female sexual health, female fertility, and uh, anything that comes up with, uh, with females and their organs. That's coming up next. From the pleasure to the pain and everything in between, Passion with Dr. Lori, News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. We only hear that once a month at the Vagina Dialogues tonight where we answer questions about female sexual health. We have Dr. Jacqueline Madar in studio with us. She's an OBGYN at the Jewish General Hospital. We have uh, Laura Schaefer, who is a pelvic floor physiotherapist uh, presently on Matt leave, but has agreed to join us anyhow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got lots of questions already, ladies. You ready? All right. Bring it on. You bring it on? All right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Postmenopausal woman dropped by gyno. Different opinions. Pap smear or not? Not at all comfortable with my GP doing a pap smear. How does one go around finding a good and caring gyno? That's a big question because a lot of GPs are now doing the pap smears yes. because the gynecologists are more special specialized, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So I this is a really relevant question because some, this is something that I see all the time and that I get asked all the time. And actually what some GPs are doing is when they ask for the referral, they'll put like a fake reason on the referral no just to get their patient in to see a gynecologist. But anyways, here's the deal to answer the question in terms of what care is needed for postmenopausal women. So a lot of women feel uncomfortable with this, but a lot of women actually don't need a gynecologist because the only care that they need after menopause, if everything is going well and they're not having any abnormal bleeding, is really just their pap smear every two to three years, which can 100% be done by a family doctor or even a nurse. There are very experienced nurses who can do pap smears. And obviously, if anything abnormal is is found, they can always be referred to somebody more specialized. But the current guidelines for pap smear screening in Quebec is actually, if you've always had normal paps, then you only need them every two to three years, and you can actually stop screening at age 65. But a lot of women feel uncomfortable no longer being seen for a pelvic exam after right. age 65. Right. But um, when you actually look at studies to see if pelvic exams every year actually prevent the risk of disease or ovarian cancer, they don't, ah. which I tell patients and it, it makes them uncomfortable because they're like, well, I want to go to the doctor to make sure that I'm okay and I don't have cancer. But unfortunately, just doing a physical exam Even women ask me about ultrasounds, blood tests, nothing prevents ovarian cancer, not even a physical exam. Wow. So you can examine a patient every year and she can develop stage three ovarian cancer and she had it the whole time and you just couldn't feel it. 
So mm-hmm. scary. That yeah. is scary. Mm-hmm. So in terms of my GP doesn't feel comfortable, how does one go about uh, getting a pap smear? There's a lot of clinics in Montreal that offer pap smears, like yeah. walk-in clinics. Mm-hmm. Like there's a clinic uh, called MDCM on Saint-Jacques. And you can just, there's a pap clinic and you can just go so get your it. pap, pap clinic. Just that's a pap it. clinic. And, you know, there's specialized nurses that do it. You just have to look into where it's available. But unfortunately, you know, there's only so many gynecologists who need to see all the pregnant women and women who need surgeries right. and women who are having the issues. And unfortunately, a lot of gynecologists don't have room for referrals for just pap smears. Like, and there aren't as many gynos as there are family GPs, doctors. right? Absolutely and there, not. But there was a time when every woman had, had a gyneco- GP and a gynecologist. Absolutely. It was like a given. Absolutely. And I think in those times it was because gynecologists were seeing 60 patients a day with patients who had probably just as complex problems, but there's a lot more things that we talk about now. Like no one talked about painful sex, you know, 50 years ago. No one talked about my vagina itches or burns 50 years ago. Like no one had, the internet didn't exist. So you're spending half an hour talking to patients about things that they read on the internet. The nature Mm -hmm. of medicine is very different now. And so you cannot just see 60 patients a day anymore. It's a a lot more involved and a lot more discussions. And so for me, for example, I just cannot see referrals for just a pap smear. I just cannot. Right. So regular gynos are rare. uh, And I got this from other gynos that I was speaking to. They don't do the wellness. You don't. You go there because it's a specialty. right and you go when you have a problem that's right okay yeah so either gp or i love the idea of a pap clinic yeah. i think that's great yeah that's great that, yeah. that you go there every three years and that's it yeah. i was just gonna say too if you have questions about skin or the health of the vagina or you're just wanting to learn more or before do you need a referral to a gynae or not um see a pelvic floor physio because we can definitely help with that as well, and right? they do exams. Like we examine everything, exam. right. all the layers of the muscles, all the skin, the condition, the reflexes. We check neurological, everything. We, we're we're right. doing a full so we can give you an idea if, if you need you to see think a doctor. You need yeah. to see a doctor or if we think a gynecological referral is, is warranted or not. Right. So, well, so there, are, there are options, and I'm mm-hmm. glad you brought that up, Laura, uh, as a pelvic floor physiotherapist because you guys do so much more than what people think. And, and we d- often don't hear much about what a pelvic mm-hmm. floor physio does. So they don't realize that, yeah, they go in there. Like, yes. mm-hmm. Aside from gynos, they're the yes. only other That's profession correct. that goes in there. Yeah. yeah. And right? we're told, like, I, many of my clients say, like, wow, this is the most complete exam I have yeah. ever had done. Yeah. Right. Because uh, you anyone. have time. You spend have the time. hour with that person. Yeah. Yes, right. we do a full social exam and then we do a, a full physical, everything, head to toe and very detailed. Wow. So mm-hmm. that's uh, that's where we have to kind of extend now. We have to think outside outside the box. Yeah. Don't want anybody to joke. Okay, you know, I uh, didn't mean it that way. But yes, we have to we have to think further and think about all the other professions that that can also help and get past the idea that we absolutely need to have a gyno in our uh, on our team unless yeah. we have a, a problem. Somebody just wrote in, PAPs are done at the Queen Elizabeth Health Complex yep. by a nurse practitioner. So you got again, it. There's another. I will say, and one of my friends who is a family doctor who's amazing, she has a nurse, her own nurse. She says, my nurse is better at pap smears than I am because she does them all day. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
All right, I have a couple more questions. I was led to believe vaginal orgasms are less intense than clitoral orgasms. Is it possible to have an orgasm without presence of a clitoral structure? Ooh, this is a good question. I can yeah, take that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can certainly answer that. So, uh, you know, we often say an orgasm is an orgasm is an orgasm, first of all. And the structure, even women who have vaginal orgasms emanating from intercourse or penetration, there is still... Uh, there is still the contact with the inner structure of the clitoris. So you, there are many, like the, the clitoris is a big structure that, that goes around, uh, that can be, um, um, stimulated from the vaginal walls as well as from the uh, like uh, upper, uh, where there's a shaft and all of that. So it's, it, we still don't know a lot about why some women do, some women don't. But there was a study done that showed that women who could have orgasms through vaginal intercourse, those were the women who had whose um, entry point uh, the or the distance between the entry and the clitoris was shorter. So there was more contact, more direct contact to that inner structure of the uh of the clitoris. So it's all related to that clitoral structure. We just, it's hard to, it's hard to, um, to study it like in in labs, you know, (laughs) I, um, I want to plug something that everybody should watch. It's a Netflix episode. I don't know if anyone, it's a series called Netflix explained. And there's an episode on the female orgasm and I think it's only about 20 minutes and I actually heard about it from a pelvic physiotherapist and, um, actually it explains everything. How about, did I not or, know about amazing. this? Okay. And actually it sort of says that there is really no such thing as the G spot and it's all just an extension of, of the, the clitoris. clitoris. That's right. That's and, what we know And now. this research was only done on cadavers like very, very recently, like I think in the nineties or something right. by, um, a female doctor. I forget what kind of doctor she was, but it's again how it's poorly understood, but very, very interesting about how the G spot is is a myth, and it's likely right. that just the, how the clitoris is a bigger structure, and that was only discovered very recently. Very recently, and they now have the three yeah, D. They're right. now able to do the three D uh, uh, diagram of it, where you can actually yeah. see the structure, which is fascinating that we only discover that now yeah like, what the hell yeah you know? <laughs> it yeah. took this long yeah for uh female sexuality to 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 take a front seat you know yeah. in, in terms of research and again you're working with cadavers you don't know how cadavers respond i mean they don't respond that's no. the reality <laughs> they don't respond uh so there's that factor too uh the vagina dialogues tonight we have uh, dr jacqueline madar she's a an OBGYN at the jewish general hospital laura schaefer is here she's a pelvic floor physiotherapist if you want to know more about what pelvic floor physiotherapy is, you can ask those questions. If you have any questions about uh, your health, your uh, reproductive health, your sexual health, if you're a female, if you're a guy that wants to know more about women, uh, these ladies can answer uh, answer the questions. I think between the three of us, we can um, we can pretty much take on uh, any questions regarding uh, female sex- sexual health. What do you think, ladies? Yes, we can. I think we so. Can. <laughs> yeah, I think we've proven that we could do that. <laughs> so we do have some questions coming up, and one question that we uh, will address is. Um, 
menstruation as we get older, all the problems with menstruation. You hear often women who complain that either they become painful or they're wonky. They're, you know, they get them sometimes, not sometimes. Sometimes they last for weeks. And so we'll talk about what happens when, uh, when periods are all over the place. That's up next after we check in with our CJD 800 Newsroom. Following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. It's Sex Out Loud, and you're welcome to listen in. Passion on CJAD 800. Some are kind of scary, and this is what they're called. On the Vagina Dialogues tonight, Dr. Jacqueline Madar, OBGYN at Jewish General Hospital, and Laura Schaefer, pelvic floor physiotherapist, uh, presently on mat leave, so not working anywhere, but here. <laughs> That's right. Uh, 514-800. If you have any questions, you can call in, too, at 514-790-0800. So I got this question, uh, ladies. Why do menses seem to get worse with age? I don't remember having such bad cramps when I first started. Lately, it's like a ton of bricks in the first two days. So what happens to as we get older and why do our period cycles change? It sucks. If yeah. they just get <laughs> Yeah, it sucks <laughs> in your professional medical opinion. <laughs> they get worse with age typically after women have uh, their babies. Uh, the best explanation really is um, so women as they get older, the eggs are not as good as anymore. They're not consistently ovulating. And when you don't consistently ovulate, it sort of messes up the hormones and the balance of hormones and the periods can become irregular and heavier. And it's just sort of how the oh, hormones... Oh, joy. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's really just how uh, a change in hormones over time. But really the main reason what happens is as you lose your eggs, you sort of have a, a different balance of the hormones that are there if you're not ovulating consistency anymore okay. and sort of an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone. And it really just makes the periods a lot heavier. And what about painful? Like should somebody, at which point should somebody have that checked out? So if pain is, I mean, it's not life-threatening, but it's definitely a quality of life issue. So periods can become more painful over time if they're heavier, because if you have big clots inside, then the uterus has to sort of spasm and contract in order right. to get it out. So a lot of women will really have a lot of the pain when when it's really on the heavy days and they're passing large clots because it's it, it takes a lot of strength and effort from the uterus to sort of expel those clots. Right. And so it's really it's it's funny speaking to different women, you talk to them about their periods and you can have one women, woman who's sort of anemic with low blood levels cuz her periods are so heavy but heavy but she'll tell you that it doesn't bother her and her doctor's referring her because she's anemic. Right. Right. And and she doesn't want treatment. And then you have other women who will just complain about their periods because they're so long and they're so heavy and you check their blood levels and they're completely normal. So it's a totally personal thing. And women should mm-hmm. go to the doctor really when it's affecting their quality of life. Okay. Yeah. So could it also, could painful, like suddenly having very painful periods be an indicator that there is uh, uh, something going on? like a Yeah, if it happens, like if it happens later on in life, it's kind of unusual. Like typically women with painful periods, if it's associated with endometriosis, for example, they tend to present early on, like oh, even okay. as a teenager. So if I have a woman with new pain, then I definitely want to do some more digging because it's unusual to just get period cramps out of nowhere for no reason, right. unless there's actually something there. Okay. Yeah. Here's a good question. 
I've never had a baby and I'm in my early 30s. Are my eggs already gone bad? I thought women could give birth after 30. They can. So whoever told you that is uh, wrong. wrong. Um, actually, it's nice and refreshing at the Jewish um, when you actually, when I look at the list of patients who are admitted admitted to the maternity ward, most women are actually over 30. It's rare now to see women uh, less than 30 having a baby, wow. especially with our urban population and women are, working. you know, working mm-hmm. with their careers and everything. Most women actually are having their kids over 30. Um, the eggs really start to decline in quality really after 37. And and that being said, a lot of women picture like this sort of steep ski hill type of mm-hmm. graph in their mind, but it's really a gradual decline. So just because you're having your first baby over 35 or 37, it doesn't mean you're going to have a baby necessarily that has Down syndrome, for example. Mm-hmm. It's just that we know statistically compared to younger women, the risk is higher. And then the, re- the risk really starts to become more significant over 40, where the risk of having a baby in Down syndrome was sort of like one in 42, I believe the number is. Okay. So one That's in 42 after 40. After 40 yeah. So really okay. after 40 that it becomes risky in terms of having a baby with like a genetic problem. But I mean, in your early 30s, like the risk of a genetically abnormal baby is very small. Okay. Yeah. And, and the ability and, and still women in their early 30s have a good chance, a very good chance of getting pregnant. And does it have anything to do with whether they get regular periods or not? Yeah, for sure. So if you have regular periods, and that's the best way to know that everything's working well and you're making an egg every month and that egg can be fertilized uh, for a pregnancy. But when, you know, as you get older, sort of into the 40s, later 40s, when the periods start becoming irregular, not only are the eggs crappy, I hate to say, but those are eggs that sort of can produce babies with genetic problems because mm-hmm. they're older eggs. Um, but also if your periods are irregular, then you, women, a lot of older women near menopause are not ovulating consistently. And if you're not making an egg every month, then it becomes difficult to get pregnant. Okay. Yeah. Answers that question. 514-800 if you have any questions for our uh, our guests in studio, Dr. Jacqueline Madar, OBGYN at the Jewish General Hospital, Laura Schaefer, who's a pelvic floor physiotherapist and can certainly talk about painful sex and all of that. Uh, this uh, text writes, I don't understand why GPs can help with any health problems except with vaginas. It feels sexist when a guy can go anywhere and be tested for prostate cancer and it is harder as a woman to get access. Now they took the gyno department out of the Lachine Hospital. I heard. Yeah. It leads me to believe it may lead to an increase in STDs and cancers for people who don't have resources or are shy. Do you think that that there's a risk that it will lead to that? I don't. I mean, I want to get back to the first point. Uh, it's a texture. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I really do feel similarly about that. I feel like there's something wrong with the fact that a GP can check a prostate, mm-hmm. but can't check a woman. Or and, refuse to. Or refuse. Right. I, how many patients do I see? My GP won't do my pap smear. My GP wow. refuses to do. But these are older GPs. Okay. These are not the new generation of GPs who really are specifically taught that this is a necessity, uh, necessity mm-hmm. and a necessary part of a physical exam, a complete mm-hmm. physical exam. So I just want to say that I agree with you and I feel your pain. Um, no, I don't think that closing the Lachine Hospital will lead to an, in, uh, the the gyno clinic at the Lachine Hospital will lead to an increase in STDs or cancers, but I think it's just going to be really annoying for a lot of patients to find another doctor. But I mean, if you're ever worried about an STD, you can walk into a CLSC and they'll do STI yeah. testing for you. That's right. And the same thing with PAPs, like there's walk-in PAP clinics. So they're really, those are the two two most important things. Um, and 
I hate to say it, but if there's a really big emergency, then any emergency department, you'll get very quick care if there's a really life-threatening problem. Mm-hmm. Even though care in Quebec and access to care is really not the greatest, and we all know it, <laughs> if you do have an acute problem, then you'll get treated quickly in an emergency department. But, I mean, I think it's just really, an, it's really sucks for a lot of patients that were being treated at that clinic. Um, but I, I don't think that it will necessarily lead to increases in, right. like, morbidity or mortality. Right. It's just annoying for those patients. So this, uh, a text writes, not true i'm a primary care np i guess that's a nurse practitioner, nurse practitioner yeah and i follow pregnancy and paps etc yeah yes and many Absolutely, do but for many sure. don't like many yeah uh, they're there we need more of them right. yeah it's an amazing resource to have and unfortunately those primary care nurse practitioners they're only accessible right now to family doctors so i don't have a nurse that can oh. follow pregnancies for me these nurses are funded by ramq and ramq funds them in the context of family medicine clinics but they do not provide these services. So if I wanted my own nurse to follow pregnancies, I would have to pay her a salary out of Separately. my own pocket. Okay. And I just can't afford that. Right. Wow. Yeah. It, it, we're learning a lot mm-hmm. about the state of uh, gynecological care. That's yeah. for sure. Coming up, we'll talk about what happens when you have uh, itchy... Uh, eczema-like skin on your vaginal lips. That's coming up next. Straight talk that's all-inclusive. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. The Vagina Dialogues tonight to Dr. Jacqueline Madar, OBGYN at the Jewish General Hospital, and Laura Schaefer, pelvic floor physiotherapist. We are answering questions about female sexual health and reproductive health. So I have this question, and I think it's come up in the past. Um, on uh, my outer lips, especially during my period, I get super itchy, very red, like eczema. It, I think the pads make it worse. Uh, and I keep scratching sometimes until the skin comes off. Oh, yeah. So what is that? So, I mean, I think it's like in simplex chronicus. It sounds like that. I don't know what you think, Laura. I'll explain in a minute. Yeah. But um, Lichen, what's it called? Lichen simplex chronicus, which is pretty much a fancy word. It's like an itch scratch cycle. So there's an initial trigger that irritates you, which I think is your period and pads. And then you start scratching. But then when you scratch, it releases histamine Mm -hmm. in your skin. And histamine makes you itch even more. And it's like a vicious cycle. So the more you itch, the more itchy it gets. And the more you scratch. And then your skin, you can, to the point where you're literally scratching off your skin. And the skin can become super red and irritated. And what you really need to do is sort of remove the trigger, which I think is pads. Sometimes you can get treated with like a mild steroid type cream or cortisone cream just okay. to calm down the inflammation initially. Um, and then, Laura, I'm sure you could talk a lot more about some other like vulvar care things. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, just general vulvar care, avoiding anything with scents on on mm-hmm. very loose cotton underwear, um, letting the skin breathe at night is really important in this case too. You don't want to keep something pressed yeah. against the vulva. Except that when you have your period and you're wearing a pad, right? No, period, I say totally. tampon or diva cup. I diva would try. Cup, yeah, oh, diva cup. Yeah. That's yeah. a good idea. 
Yeah. yeah. What um, about what about you can't wear tampons at night, can you? Yeah, you can, you can. Just not more than eight hours. Okay. The other thing she could try is um, like a type of a barrier, like an aquaphor, just yeah. on the skin to protect. Okay. Yeah. I tell women to do that prior to say swimming or things that are going to irritate the skin. So a pad, if you really can't avoid it, is put that on as a protective. Um, oh, put the just like diaper on. rash. Yeah. Like what you do for a diaper rash. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that so, makes sense. You can put the aquaphor on the pad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or even on the skin and then and put then the pad. Put the yeah, pad either on. one. Okay. Um, but yeah, just being very careful uh, with any type of product that could irritate the skin, yeah. obviously. Okay. And really stay away from itching, yeah. um, as Jackie's saying, yeah. because you itch and it's going to recreate that cycle cycle yeah. over yeah. and over yeah. again. And sometimes at night, if it's so bad, you can take like um, an antihistamine, like a reactant or something. Okay. Um, and that really helps like... Uh, thinking of the generic name in my head right now but any kind of antihistamine right. oh like a benadryl right, right something right. like that can help for sleeping okay yeah right here's another question diagnosed with yeast infection and bv i just finished antibiotic treatment for bacterial vaginosis and took one generic canistin uh, canestin pill for yeast how do i know if it's gone last dose was monday and now i feel itch again need to take the uh, the canestin one day pill that's what the pharmacist suggested um the doctor had suggested it too but i took generic uh, canistin can't remember name now at the beginning when i started the antibiotics okay so is the question that there's still symptoms a week later right they just and, finished and, yeah and she took a pill or a cream the canestin pill for pill. yeast yeah uh, it should be the same thing it's all the same it's all fluconazole i would think whether generic or not it's the same thing i okay. think i think so i mean it's the only one that i know of so that the generic is called diflucan and uh, or sorry the brand name is diflucan and the generic is fluconazole okay um but anyways i mean the point is is if there's still symptoms the important thing is to test and see um because the symptoms should have gone away. Oh, wait, that was Monday. Mm-hmm. Today's Wednesday. Right. I would wait a couple more days. But if it's like a full week and you're not better, I would go back to the doctor and make sure it's the right diagnosis. Repeat a swab. Sometimes women need like a three-day treatment. Okay. To clear, especially ones who have recurrent yeast infections. Like they need to take the pill um, three times. Separ- like you take it every three days for three doses. Sometimes if it's a really nasty infection, that won't go away. Okay, so the one-a-day pill yeah. may not uh, may not work. And also, does the the yeast pill treat the bacterial vaginosis? No. Right, so then no. she would have to have that treated. For sure, but it separately. sounded like she was treated for it. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. the antibiotic mm-hmm. treatment. Okay, mm-hmm. so then so the yeast would cause Yeah, you itch. have to treat okay. both, yeah. All right, makes sense. But the problem is, if you take antibiotics to treat the bacterial vaginosis, it can cause a yeast infection. Because mm-hmm. when you take antibiotics, right. they can cause a yeast right. infection. So whenever I give a woman antibiotic, I, I tell her to take probiotics. At the same time, yeah. yes, makes perfect so sense. So maybe that's why. Okay. Uh, this uh, person wrote, uh, recently I read that latest research revealed women ovulate twice per month. Is this true? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. <laughs> I would imagine you would have heard about Not this that in, I'm the, aware in of. the papers, right? Yeah. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? There was a, a question about um, a person who suffers from adenomyosis. What is that? So adenomyosis, adenomyosis. is, okay, it's, let me see how I can explain this the best without drawing a picture. So the inside lining of your uterus, which is what makes your period once a month, it's called endometrium. It's glands. And that's the glands that make your period 
And so adenomyosis is when those glands are kind of growing into the wall of the uterus, like invading into the wall of the uterus, sort of growing out instead of, you know, the glands sort of shedding inside the uterus and going out your vagina. It's sort of growing into the wall. So it actually makes the periods a lot heavier, very painful. And the uterus sort of is very bulky on exam and tender on exam. And those women can also have pain with sex. So it's, um, it's, it has about the same frequency as endometriosis, about 10% of the population. A lot of women just endure it their whole lives, you know, having painful periods, they deal with it and that's it gets better after menopause. Um, does it cause infertility? Adenomyosis, we don't know. There's a lot of research being done on adenomyosis right now. But uh, from what I've read, it can increase the chance of having, uh, of, of infertility problems. Okay. Yeah. I think that's all the time we've got. Well, we answered a lot of questions tonight, so I'm really happy we were able to uh, help lots of women out there. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Jacqueline Madar. She is a OBGYN at the Jewish General Hospital. The only way you can get to see her is if you have an actual issue and your doctor gives you a referral, right? <laughs> no wellness uh, appointments. I wish I could. I, I just know. have no time. I know. Uh, and Laura Schaefer, pelvic floor physiotherapist, uh, who will soon return uh, to work. And next month we'll uh, be meeting with another uh, pelvic floor physiotherapist as well who will uh, will join us because it's become this huge burgeoning field now and so needed uh, in the field of women's uh, sexual health. And we'll talk more about pelvic pain because I think this is something that a lot of women do suffer with. So uh, thank you both for being here. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. And thanks to our technical producer, Dave Simon. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. Coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.